0: Uh, So it's actually the 10th week I think that we've been here so I'd like to just welcome you guys back to our journey through the book of 1st John and tonight I invite you guys open your Bibles to 1st John chapter 3 and we'll dive into that here pretty soon. Uh, we're actually finally made it to chapter three it's taken us quite a little while to get here but that's okay i'm excited 10 weeks is is not wasted you know it's it's been good we've come quite a long ways from black ceiling paint that's fallen on the ground in a construction site with plastic taped up around it so now we got a floor and we got a stage and we got a pulpit and all the things and the sound system so thank you lord yes lord. give him the praise I right. give him a big old hand clap for that thank you jesus uh, so and so through this through the weeks of this study through First John we've identified the genuine Christian we've differentiated between the one who says and the one who does right because there's Mister Big Talk and then there's one who actually is a real quick Christian the one who actually does do those things uh, we've looked at seven of the ten tests of assurance so far that list that I gave you guys it was spelled out by John in his epistle uh, we've defined theological words like propitiation and justification. Uh, we've taken a survey through the last days. You know, we've looked at the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrists. we looked at the rapture and the second coming of Christ so far. We've also looked at the doctrines that false teachers proclaim both then and today. So without wasting any more time, let's get to what really matters. It's not my words. It's the Word of God. So let's read uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Beloved now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as to, as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him. Purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, gracious Heavenly Father, that you would call us to this place to meet and to gather. Uh, Father, we, we invite your Holy Spirit in here tonight as if we needed to invite you. This is your place. This is your sanctuary. This is your word. This is your people. I'm your preacher. Preach through me tonight, Lord. I pray that you would soften hearts to receive your truth. Help us to understand what it means to be a child of God. Father, help us to really understand that, to hold that and to treasure it in our heart like the first day that we found out. And Lord, there's business that needs to be done in this room. I'm almost sure of it, God. And I pray that if there's anybody in here who does not know Christ, that you would draw them tonight, not through my preaching, but through your word, Lord. Show them what it's like to be a child of God and fight them into your family tonight, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, the, uh, the, uh, the title of this message tonight is called God's Children. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And so we often hear sayings such as like father, like son, or it's a family tradition, right? We hear a lot of that stuff. Uh, we do things as a family. We go on family vacations. We have family dinners. And even if you're real lucky, you have family, family reunions, right? You know, a family will often resemble one another in looks and actions or speech, like for me, where'd I get these puppies from, these great big old ears? I could fly away with them, right? You know what I mean? I got these huge ears from a long line of men with huge ears, right? <laughs> Let's get back on track. All jokes aside, family is, is very important. It's God's design. You know, it, 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 it is as a family that we're nurtured, that we're taught, that we're protected. It's how we multiply. In ancient times, they banded together as a clan, as a family, that's how they survived, right? We've lost sight of that today. Family's irreplaceable, and it's something that everyone wishes that they had. However, many of us, you know, we don't have families that are together, right? Maybe they're broken and they're scattered by sin. Maybe even our original family abandoned us altogether, leaving us to be taken in by a whole other family that wasn't even our blood. Some families get together to eat and celebrate, then behind everybody's back, gossip and ridicule and slander each other and create wars and cause division families can be messy families can be painful families can be wonderful but family can also be eternal guys there's one family that really matters amen Amen. tonight lord willing i'll share with you about a family that will never leave you or abandon you an eternal family that loves unconditionally a true family with the Father greater than anyone or anything. Amen. So I, I just invite you guys to follow along with me as we dive into the first point of this sermon. And it's found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it again. The first point is the Father's love. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Such and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. So look with me again at that very first word in chapter three. Uh, My NASB says, it says see. But if you have the New King James Version or maybe another version, it says behold. And I think that's a more beautiful word. But either either word holds great astonishment to the meaning. It's like holding something up and saying uh, with great wonder and great amazement, you know, look at this. Isn't this amazing? You know, you have to see this. This is so wonderful. Check this thing out. It's, It's beautiful. Behold it. See what I got? And that's exactly how John's calling us to look at this. Uh, You know, And and what exactly is John calling us to behold? Uh, What's he calling us to see? Finish the sentence with me here in verse 1. See, or behold, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and such as we are. Many of us have forgotten what it's like to be a child of God, right? But we are children of God if we're saved under the blood of Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. But sometimes we forget just what that really means. There's huge principles that are in play uh, and actions that come with that, gifts that come with being a child of God. So John's calling his readers to see, to behold the love of the Father that initiates our salvation. It was his love that started at first. We love because he first loved us. That's in 1 John as well. And it causes us to be born again. It makes us his children. So there are three actions of the bestowing love of the Father in the life of his children found throughout the scriptures that I'd like to present with you guys this evening. And the first action of his love is is that his love gives life. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It'll be here on this board. Let me stand over here, maybe. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. The love of God that existed before the foundations of the world, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You can flip over there and check, it, check me on that. Made us alive together with Christ Jesus. That same love. You know, we, you, you just read that verse with me. You know, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins and in our transgressions. We were unable to save ourselves. Dead men stink. But thanks be to God who rescued us out of the abundance of his love and out of his mercy. Amen. So as Colossians chapter one, verse 13 through 14 says, and I don't have that slide, I have it right here. uh, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That'll preach all by itself. I can hang it up right now and go home. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us and transferring us through redemption, through your great love into the kingdom of your son. Not because we were worthy, not because we deserved it, Not because God was obligated to save us sinners. But simply because he chose to demonstrate his love in that manner. Amen. Amen. The marvelous mystery is that he is God. And he owes us nothing. Church. We are sinners. We deserve only destruction. That's the marvelous mystery. That He's God and we're sinners. And he would choose to save us. It blows my mind. I don't get it. Why would you do that Lord? Because you love us. And he wanted to display his his love and his mercy and his patience in in, in his creation through us, through Christ. Yet he loves us anyways, knowing full well who he would be. I've seen a quote one time on Facebook. I don't know who said it, and it's probably not even that great. But he said this, God already factored in your stupidity before he called you. So I'm like, he already knew who I was going to be. Doesn't mean that we should go and sin and go and act a fool. But he had already factored in uh, who we would be. He already knew. And yet he chose to die for us and save us anyways. And it is in that love that John's calling us to behold, to behold in awestruck wonder, the love that gives life bestowed by the Father. So that's the first part. The first action that his love does is that it gives life. And the second action of the love of the Father is that his love births. I don't know how to say that right. I, I talk funny, but his love births. So uh, in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and I'll go ahead and read that now. Uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. <clears throat> and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born by the Spirit, born of the Spirit, sorry. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So answering Nicodemus' backdoor question, he came late at night to ask Jesus this question on how to be saved, Jesus tells him, don't be amazed at what I'm saying. You must be born again. You ought to know this. You're the teacher of Israel. Jesus, or Jesus even asked him that question, just like I said, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Like, what's that supposed to mean? That flies right over our heads sometimes if we don't read the whole Bible. You know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the Old Testament well. They knew it better than anybody. Jesus is basically telling Nicodemus... How could you have missed Ezekiel 36? If you're the teacher of all Israel, how could you have missed Ezekiel 36? You're getting this all wrong. How do you not understand what I'm saying? Let's look at the slide. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It's being born again. He puts a new heart in you. He sprinkles you with clean water. He washes you anew. That's the ticket. There's one requirement to entering into eternal life with Christ our Lord. What is it? We must be born again. How does this happen? In God's perfect love. Initiated by the Father. The Holy Spirit begins to move in ways that we can't see nor understand. And in the process of of regeneration, through the new birth, God cleanses us with the clean water of his word. He removes uh, from us our old heart of stone that's hard, can't feel nothing. And he puts in us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of flesh that beats. Puts life in you, causes you to be born again. Thank you, Lord. And finally, he removes from us our old demonic spirit that disobeyed God in every single area and he places in us his spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that causes us to walk in his statutes and in his ordinances. We couldn't do it alone. If we did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we could not do it alone. There's no way we could walk this walk. So just as we cannot crawl back into the womb and be birthed again, we cannot make ourselves to be birthed into God's family. We had no choice but to be born in the families that we have. We took no part in the procreation of our parents. Uh, for We're all big kids. We took no part in the sex of our parents. We had nothing to do with our birth from our mother. It was completely out of our control. In a very similar way, this love of God that births us into his family is completely out of our control as well. The only thing that we brought to the table was the sin necessary to be saved from. Amen. So what a precious and amazing title to be called a child of God. But really, what what exactly does that mean though? It's kind of, if I don't explain it, it's kind of irrelevant, right? What what, What's that mean? It seems kind of thick. The famous preacher and and pastor, he's an old guy that I really like a lot. He's dead now, but he gives this beautiful definition. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it says this, the word child always puts the emphasis on uh, or wait, the word child always puts the emphasis upon the common nature, that the child is derived from the parent and shares the nature and blood of the parent. It emphasizes this internal, vital, organic aspect of the relationship rather than the legal position. And what John, therefore, is reminding us of us here in this passage is that we who are truly Christians are sharers of what? The very life of God. So we have more than just a title or a legal standing as children of God. We have the very lifeblood of God running through our veins. Amen. That's something to shout about. We're born again children of God. You know, just as your parents' blood and your parents' genes run through your body, we too have the very life of God in us, living in us, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're God's children, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. His heart that He put in us. His spirit that causes us to obey is His blood that runs through our veins. We have the genetic makeup of Him. That's right. That's right. And the third action that His love does, the Father's love does, is that His love adopts. This is a deep word. It's an awesome word. It's a beautiful word, guys, to get behind. Um, and, and I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6 and Romans 8, 15. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And then Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We also have a legal standing point with God, Right? We have a legal standing point with God as his sons and as his daughters, amen? We've been chosen and we've been chosen specifically. You know, some of you here in this room, and I, I was really hoping that there was gonna be a, a couple of couples here in this room that, a few couples in this room that, you know, had their adopted kids that could hear this message, but, you know, pray that the Lord ministers to them throughout the week here as well. But, you know, some of you here in this room, uh, they have kids whom, whom they've adopted, right? Some of you guys in this room may have kids that you adopted even, you know, you adopted them into your family. You know, these are they were children lost without a shepherd. They were living in a broken and a rotting home. You know, maybe they were abused, neglected. Maybe they were broken or hungry. Maybe they were starving. Maybe they had sores on them or something like that. They were alone. They were unwanted. Their biological parents did not want them. They were waiting for someone to rescue them from their earthly hell. You know, not because they were cute, not because they were skilled, not because the child owed them anything, but out of mercy and out of love of the adopting parent's heart, they found compassion on that child and desired desperately to save them from their destruction. That's why, like, that's why Rick and Sherry and Ben and Amanda adopted those kids, right? They saw the state that they were in. They were abused and neglected. There's no telling where those kids would be today if they had stayed with their biological parents. But what man meant for evil, God intended for good. And God worked it out in a way where they're in a nice house. They're wearing nice clothes. They're taking baths every day. They're eating food. They're fed. They've inherited a last name. They've been adopted. It's beautiful. They were perishing. Yet somebody come along, not because they were cute. They were filthy and in rags. They would be hard. They were born with alcohol and drugs in their system. They wouldn't be easy. And yet they reached down and they picked them up. They held them like it was their own little child and they dusted him off and they brought him into their home and they prepared a room for him and they gave him their last name. They gave them the full rights of the rest of their children, the rest of their family. Just as it is for us, we too have been adopted. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Not by any earthly means, but for those of us who have trusted in Christ as Savior and who submit to him as Lord, it is us who have been adopted into sonship. We've inherited the same kingdom as Jesus Christ and he is our brother, amen? amen? Being adopted as sons and daughters, we come to a place where we can cry, Abba, Father, which means it's, it, it holds a deep endearment. That word is Greek and it holds a deep endearment uh, in the name, much like a child calling out the name, Daddy, it's like crying out, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I've fallen down and I've broken my leg or I've scuffed my leg up, I need you, help me. As children of God, adopted through the blood of Christ, we too can cry out Father as a little child and trust that all will be fine. He will protect us. He will heal us. And He will raise us up at the last day. Amen? Amen. He is faithful. He's a good daddy. He's a good father. And I say that in the most respectful way that I can, Lord, when I say that word. And, uh, And this brings to my mind that we have two families that are in play in the world today. Uh, and, and I'll share it with you. So as we look again at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through three, thank you, Drew, you're awesome. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So looking again at this passage in Ephesians 2, it's clear to see that there are two families that exist in the world. The children of the devil and the children of God. Amen? There's one or the other. You can't have both and. You can't be riding the fence. Uh, A child of the devil is everyone who has never been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, as you see in that scripture. We were all there once before. So if you failed to place your trust in Jesus Christ, you, my friend, are a child of the devil and you are under the wrath of God. You are a son of disobedience. In fact, the passage in Ephesians says specifically that you are a child of wrath, a son of disobedience. I said it again, just for good good measures. You know, the other family, the one that we've given the most attention to thus far in this passage of Scripture is the children of God. It's the right family to be in, guys. You know, this is a family, the family and the only family that you want to be in. Uh, there, there's no other family better than this. They're the, it's the best family on the block, right? The Father's love is love that we cannot find in anything or anywhere, anyone else. And look, if you're not in this family right now, if you are a a son of disobedience, if you're a child of wrath, if you're a child of the devil, you need to throw open your bedroom window. You need to run out and you need to run away into the family of God, into his home and he'll receive you. Get going and get going now. Jump away, run away from it, straight into the arms of the only family that truly loves you, God's family, because the devil don't love you and everyone else that's in that family don't love you either. They only want to see you perish along with Him. Because why? Misery loves company. I promise you this, that God is waiting on the front porch. He knows you're coming and He's ready to give you life. He's ready to cause you to be born again, to adopt you as a son or a daughter and give you full rights into His kingdom in a bedroom to rest your head. Amen. I remember what it was like when I finally, like this house that we got right now that we just moved into. I'm 28 years old and this is The third time I've ever had my own place within what two years, in less than two years, this is the third house I've ever had. I'm 28. Dude, come on, I, most of my friends were getting houses at 18 and 19 or whatever, or they had a nice house growing up and stuff, they had places to go. And, and, and me growing up, everything I owned could fit in two grocery sacks and I could travel back and forth between my mom and my dad. By the time I got comfortable here, I'd have to go over here. By the time I got comfortable here, I'd have to go back there. And then between there, the rest of my time was spent couch surfing, floating around in everybody in everybody's house. I was homeless, you know? Never had a house. 28 years old now and I got a place. I got a couch and I love it, but God's got a bedroom for you. That's better than any house here on this earth. It's a mansion. He's prepared just for you. We're teaching our kids a few things in, in childcare that in my father's house, there's a great big mansion and there's a great big table where there's a whole lot of food, right? He's got you. Sing it, brother. I can't sing it, Matt. You can know that. <laughs> And I want to say this, a lot of people get this parable wrong, and I learned this from Matt Milligan, my old discipler. He taught me this, that a lot of people like to think that when one of their children run off, they quote this parable where they're like... I'm like the father. I'll be waiting for him to run back and come back into my arms. You know what? You know, like, well, here's the thing, buddy. You're not that person. You're not the father in that parable. You know who the father is? It's God. He's the one waiting for, you, for his son to come running back. You, my friend, are the servant who runs and goes and, and gets the cap and gets the ring and gets the robe to put on his finger. You're nothing else than that. You're just the servant. The father's the one that's welcoming him home. This brings me to my second point. we're kind of following the theme of family you've heard the saying that it runs in the family and let's look at verses one through two and get back on track here i'll reread it again see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of god such as we are for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him beloved now we are children of god and it has not appeared as yet what we will be we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So bring us, this brings us to our second First um, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to look with me at the tail end of the, uh, of the end of verse 1 here. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Because we are children of God, because we're marked, sealed, adopted, purchased by love, The world does not know us. We're foreign. We're different. We're strange. We're almost extraterrestrial. I can't hardly say that word. We're almost an alien to the world. We don't fit in. It's plain for everybody to see, right? We've been given a new nature as we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The new nature that we have received did not come from human hands. Amen. This new nature was not cooked up in a laboratory somewhere. No, the new nature that we received when we were born again came from divine hands in heavenly places. It came from God. This makes us alien to the world. Our face as Christians should shine like that of Moses when he went into the place to meet with God to pray and to talk with him. He came out radiating so much that the people were like, dude, you got to hide your face, man. Dude, you need to cover your face up or something because you're scaring me. You've been so much in the presence of the Lord. What if we could say that that was our motive every day? I want to be in the presence of the Lord so much that my face would shine and everybody else would know it, right? You ever had somebody come come up to you and say, man, you've got that glow about you. I know the Spirit's living inside of you. You ever had anybody say that to you? I glory on days like that because usually it's days like that and I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Makes us an alien to the world, unrecognizable and strange to those outside of the family of God. So the societies, the religions, the agendas of the world are hostile towards us Christians. You know, as we call nations and tribes and peoples to repent and to believe, they only hear some kind of threatening war cry and they seek to annihilate us from their own planet, right? They cannot understand our speech, our evangelism, our preaching, It's all contrary to the world system and to Satan's schemes. Honestly, as Christians in this world, we ought to be the spitting image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Of course, we're not going to do it perfect, but we ought to aim for that. So I want you to listen to the words of our Lord in John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, sake, because they do not know the one who sent me, because they don't know God. So don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if you don't fit in with those crowds and circles that you once knew before you were saved. Count that as a blessing and as glory. Even more, don't be surprised if they hate you. Don't be surprised if they think you're weird. Because you know why? Because they hated Jesus Christ before they hated you. They thought Jesus was weird before they hated you. Just as the scriptures read, since Christ chose us out of the world, the world hates us. Just as the world persecuted and killed Christ uh, and, and done it to the very same it, it done the very same to the disciples. So it proved that the master or that the servant is not greater than the master. You know, if the world persecuted the disciples of Jesus, don't you think that it'll persecute us as well? It ought to. So hold on to hope, guys. Hold on to hope when the world system comes at you screaming that we cannot preach against sin or teach the Bible. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope when someone takes the Bible you gave them and they throw it in the trash. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope when someone tries to rob and kill you on a mission trip. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope when the whole world stands against you for preaching the gospel and calling them to repent. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope when you're thrown in jail, beaten up, tried in a courtroom, for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's fine. I'll speak a little louder. It's all good. Why? Because what does verse 21 say? But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they did not know the one who sent me. They're doing it for Jesus' name's sake. They do it because they are of the world and they do not know the Father. They are doing it because you are a Christian and not of this world. So what assurance, I mean, what great assurance there is in persecution. Persecution. If we're being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, what amazing assurance that is. Hold on one second. Pause. Time out. Do a little quick battery exchange. I don't need it. Sorry, Steve. Love you, brother. Thanks, man. All right. Well, these are dead. Nope. Nope. We're on. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. We're back at it now. You know, Charles Spurgeon once preached to a whole auditorium of like 20,000 people with no microphone and they all heard the message. So I think, I think we could probably do it too, maybe. <clears throat> so the two families that are work or the two families are at work here yet again. The children of the devil, you know, they blend right into the systems of the world, the agendas of the world, and their brothers and sisters in the world. Satan is their father. And the children of God, on the other hand, stick out like a sore thumb. Right? So my question tonight is this. Do the people of the world that you see regularly know that you're a Christian? You know, do they, do they know that you're different just by looking at you? Or do they only see one of those hypocrites that go to church yet deny Jesus on every other level in the way that they live every single day? Do they see that in all actuality you're not anything like them? How do they see you on a day-to-day basis? So my hope is that uh, the unsaved at your Christian school or the unsaved at your school would steer clear of you because you are a Christian. You know, my hope is that uh, the table that you sit at at the break room is empty because you are a Christian, right? My hope is that the only place you find real acceptance is in the local churches with other believers. I mean, my prayer is that God would send somebody to you at your workplace. My prayer is that God would send somebody to you to evangelize at school. But my prayer is that you would be so unrecognizable that nobody would want to sit with you at the workplace or at school. Not because you're a jerk. Not because you're so uh, boisterous. But because they know that you're a Christian and they don't want to be around you because they're so uh, of the world. I hope that makes sense. Our identity as children of God is in Christ and not in anything else, okay? So people define us by our last name, right? So a lot of people know you're tied in there with the Lechners. Have fun with that. You guys are crazy, right? That's what a lot of people like to think. A lot of people like to associate us by our last name. They don't know nothing about us because what's our identity in? Christ. Amen? Amen. Our identity is in Christ because we're children of God. And in the same way, you'll be defined either uh, by the identity of child of God or the child of the devil. One of the two. What's God going to say about you on the last day? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So look again at verse two with me. We'll, we'll be trucking along uh, here, here again. And verse two says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it, has not yet, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will not be like him or we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So I want you all to listen. We're only pilgrims here on this earth traveling to an eternal promised land. We have a hope laid up in heaven uh, that we're striving towards to be made into the image of Christ totally and perfectly. I, I preach it all the time. One day there's gonna be no more tears or heartache or pain or struggles. No more sin. Amen. I don't want any more sin. We are traveling home, pilgrims. Keep pushing on. Soon we'll behold Christ in all of his splendor and majesty, falling before the throne, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's our future and our hope, amen? This brings me to my my third point, a family tradition. I'm I'm sure many of us have heard it said that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? We've heard that saying a lot. You know, as children of God, that is very true. The apple shouldn't fall far from the tree. We follow in the, in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that he's got a big old stride, y'all. He's got a big old stride, and we can't keep up with him in those perfect footprints every single time. But we can follow the same course, right? We can stay on that same trail. We can follow right behind him like a little boy trying to step in the same prints that his daddy leaves in the snow, amen? Every now and again, we'll hit one of them footprints, We'll get get in the shallow part of the snow, but we won't do it perfectly, but we're on the same course. We're striving the same way. We're going the same direction. It's our hope that we have of our eternal reward in heaven that motivates us to be pure as he is pure, guys. So when I was working through my calling as a missionary, I want you guys to know this, that Paul Schaefer Schaefer had, had, had told me this, that a call to ministry is a call to preparation. So church, I want you to know this, that we have a huge ministry waiting for us in heaven. We'll worship the the, the Lord day and night. We'll be in his presence for all of eternity. Don't you think that's something worth preparing for? Something to get ready for, right? When we get ready for a sermon, I prepare a lot to get up here and preach. When you prepare to go run, you might stretch and warm up and do some calisthenics or something to go so you don't tear a hamstring. We're going to worship day and night for all of eternity and praise the Lord. That's something worth preparing for, guys. This is our practice ground. Get ready and go. Boot up. Let's go. God calls us to be set apart and useful to the master. He tells us to cleanse ourselves, to flee from youthful lust, to resist the devil, to be holy for he's holy. So can you honestly say that you're purifying yourself as the passage says? Can I say that? Look at the life of Jesus. It's unattainable on earth. Yes. Does it mean that we shouldn't strive towards that perfection? Nope. It means we should be in that same path, following like a daddy, after following like following our daddy in, in the footprints in the snow. We must follow Jesus. We must imitate Him. I want you to think about it like this: that some of you, uh, some of you guys, uh, have good families that like to get to get together on big holidays right or get together on the holidays for big feasts and whatnot you know some of y'all got moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas that like to cook a certain food right and in the lechner family it's like yeast rolls and fried rice and stuff like that uh you know they've been doing it the same way for 50 years or however long it is well when you get there well when you get in the kitchen you start to take over that food dish as the generations start to pass how do you make it right you make it just like they did right because it was like grandma's rolls or it was like grandma's egg or mom's egg rolls right he like i love your mom's egg rolls you know do you leave out some salt absolutely not do you leave out a little bit of yeast no you don't leave anything out you cook it just the same way they did or else the food won't turn out or taste uh taste right it won't turn out the same it's a family tradition you don't leave any of the steps out of the processes out you do the same thing they did the exact same And when you don't do it the exact same, you realize you don't get the same product. In the same way, walk like Jesus walked. Make life with him a family tradition and follow his every step. And in this, you'll imitate the perfect recipe as a child of God, amen? Amen. And he will be satisfied with the fruits of your labor. And I want you guys to lean in and I want you guys to listen real close, guys. Much like the the well done that you desire to hear from your grandma after cooking the rolls, uh, just like she did, at the end of this pilgrimage through the world, at the, end of, at the end of our life, we want to hear these words from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You followed me. Amen. So if, follow with me as we close. What words are you going to hear on that day, guys? Are you going to hear, well done? Yes. Or are you going to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? Which one? There's only two options. One is for the children of God. While the other belong to the children of wrath, the sons of disobedience. Well done is the phrase I pray God speaks to all of you guys. But in a room this size, I'm confident, very confident that someone in here is deceived. Someone in here is not a child of God. Don't leave here tonight without getting that all straightened up, guys, okay? Turn from your wicked ways. Trust in the mighty name of Jesus and he will save you. He will bring you into the family of God. He will place a royal robe over you and give you a new name. Amen? Amen. If God's drawing you through the Spirit tonight, do not harden your heart. Stop white knuckling the seat. Come and be saved. Know this, that Jesus is in heaven. He's He's gone to prepare a place for you. He says this, because in my Father's house there are many mansions and he's got one just for you. in case you you missed it, man. Jesus Christ stepped down from his throne. He was born of a virgin. God, born of a virgin, humbled himself to the lowliest lows, lived a perfect, sinless life, was beaten, abused, rejected, despised, hung on a cross for you and for me, for our sins. He took on the wrath of God so that we may have forgiveness and sins in Christ Jesus. He, he died he, and he, he went into a bar or two. But after three days, you know what he did? He raised again. He was rose again. He taught and he ministered and then he ascended to the right hand of God and he's coming back again. That's the gospel message. And if you believe that with your heart and you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. It's simple as that. Come. Come. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for all that you do, Lord, in this place and waymaker. And God, I just pray that you would continue to stir in the hearts and the minds. And the will of these men and these women that are in this place. Father, I prayed tonight before I came up here for salvation. And Father, I pray that you would answer my prayer. God, I pray for uh, repentance of sin. And I pray, God, that we would come to an understanding and know that we are children of God, Lord. Help us to To own that title, to know we're adopted, to know that we've been born again, to know that we have been made alive, that we're a new creation, Father. Help us to hold on to those promises and walk through the rest of the week radiating your glory, Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give you the praise and it's in Christ's name. Amen.